Welcome, friends, to another episode of The Conversation. My special guest today is Jim Harden, president and CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Centers, where he where he has been at the head since 2001. In these years, he led Compass Care to become the first repeatable medical model of a pro-life pregnancy center in New York State, with offices now in Rochester and Buffalo. Jim has a Master's of Divinity from the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and has written extensively on theology, medical ethics, and women's reproductive health. He's the author of a book, Ethical Theory and Pertinent Standards in Women's Reproductive Health. Jim also has worked as an adjunct professor of theology and worldview. He served as a senior pastor and is involved at various levels of leadership in a number of nonprofits. He lives in Rochester with his wife. We were just talking about her and, wait for it, his 10 children. He's a man who practices uh, what he preaches. Jim, welcome to the conversation. It's an honor to be here, Rob. It's great to see you. What we were saying as we were walking up the stairs that we've known each other probably my since I've been here. Oh, yeah. Um, but when I saw 2001, I realized you've been, in, uh, you've been at the helm longer than I have here, but not too much longer. I came uh, about five years later. Yeah, we love it here in Rochester. Of course, Rochester's not new to you either. No, no, it isn't. Born and raised, although I spent... So many years in Dallas that, you know, I almost felt like I was coming, starting over again. But yeah. when, when you leave when you're only 20-something years old, um, you know, you, you're poor. You don't know very much, you know. But <laughs> anyway, I'm, uh, I'm less poor now. So let's just dive in because a lot of people, um, you know, they might know when they hear, you know, pregnancy center that, that mm-hmm. rings some kind of image or I should say rings a bell or gives us some kind of an image. But probably some people... Um, who are not, let's say, um, schooled or have an understanding in this world that you serve and know Compass Care. So maybe give us the elevator speech and then a little Mm -hmm. bit more. What makes Compass Care unique? Yeah. So, uh, you know, pregnancy centers have been around for a long time. In fact, there's probably about 4,000 pregnancy centers in North America. And they're typically a service response to the abortion problem in our country. So the church gets together on a volunteer and sometimes paid basis and organizes around the pregnancy center concept to reach and serve women seriously considering abortion. Pregnancy resource centers is is a typical term that's used to describe these types of organizations. And Compass Care started off as one of the first of these kinds of organizations back in 1980. Hmm. There's another, um, so there's there's, there's flavors. There's two flavors of a pregnancy resource center, if you will. There's a pregnancy resource center proper, which, which provides all kinds of services um, it's, it's, and it's, and it's, they direct most of the resources to women that um, have already chosen to have their babies in difficult circumstances. And they do parenting classes and material assistance and, and all these good things that are essential. And then there's another flavor, which has um, arisen in the, in the most, I'd say in the next, last uh, 15 years called a pregnancy decision center. Okay. Also based on the pregnancy resource center concept. But a pregnancy decision center is is focuses most of its resources on <clears throat> reaching and serving uh, women in the point of their decision around abortion. So within 24 to 48 hours after the first positive home pregnancy test. And the resources that they amass are, are generally medical in nature, you know, providing um, a very aggressive advertising to reach these women and then uh, getting them in to a medical office and serving them with uh, with ethical medical care in order to help them. Uh, kind of over the the hurdle of making that decision to have their baby. 
So <clears throat> two different ways of focusing resources, both very pro-life, both ba both based on the, the historical model. Okay. So you just said uh, the words pro-life. So let me ask sure. you another question. I'm thinking about, you know, who's who listening here. What's the difference? Um, obviously, I'm going to say between everything you just said, pregnancy center, and then the couple um, variations you gave, um, both from 1980, and then you talked about the church a couple times, and mm -hmm. then what's more recent in these last 15 years for mm -hmm. this more 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 narrow um, set of services. But let's the one everybody knows about is um, um, now I'm going to forget um, Planned Parenthood. Sorry, sure. my my head of my brain uh, lapse. Planned Parenthood. Most people know about Planned Parenthood. Okay, and I'm talking about in the culture. Right now, Planned Parenthood. Um, I think one of the obvious differences, of course, you, you can say more between Compass Care and Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood obviously is an abortion provider. Correct. Right? Okay. So, but I'm guessing also, uh, or maybe I'm wrong, that some of these other services they do provide. So, give us a little just for context for people that say, "Gee, you know, uh, other than abortion, what's the difference?" Well, that that is the the, the obvious and primary difference uh, being. The service delivery, uh, Planned Parenthood provides abortion. They are the largest abortion provider in the world. And they actually deliver um, over a third of all the abortions in this country. That's that's what they do. Uh, that's their primary uh, goal and market. <clears throat> um, so that's over, that's close to 330,000 abortions every year just in the U.S. alone. Wow. Um, <clears throat> Compass Care provides baseline OB care. Uh, in a medical environment. And Planned Parenthood may or may not do that, actually. They just provide abortion. They're not interested in continuity of care necessarily. Um, <clears throat> they do they they do STD testing and treatment, which we also do. We're mm -hmm. interested in, in three basic questions every woman needs to have answered before she determines the outcome of her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. uh, question number one is, am I really pregnant? Is it possible to have a positive home pregnancy test and not have a viable pregnancy? Well, yeah, 30% of the time. And that's that's information that she needs to know. Um, maybe she doesn't have to make an abortion decision, right? Maybe that's not even a thing for uh, that right. she to consider. The second question that everyone needs to have answered is, uh, how far along am I? That would determine what kind of abortion procedure she would be eligible for. Because, you know, depending on how far along you are in the pregnancy would dictates what kind of abortion procedure you would have to have. I see. Which impacts costs and side effects and it's, uh, those, sort, those, sort of, those sort of things. And the third question that you have to have answered is, is it important to know if I have a sexually transmitted disease? And the answer, of course, is yes, because most women value the, their ability to have children, but they just don't want to be pregnant now or not in this way or not with this particular fellow. And so um, as you can test positive for an STD, like, you know, one of the most common ones is chlamydia. Mm -hmm. And that if you don't get it treated prior to um, uh, an abortion, you increase your risk of pelvic inflammatory disease by 25% within the first couple of weeks after the procedure, which causes future ectopic pregnancies, it causes internal scarring, it causes infertility, you know, so they want to protect or safeguard their future reproductive health. Planned Parenthood doesn't do that stuff. Mm. We're interested in serving the whole woman, not just physically, but also spiritually. Mm. To treat someone just as a, a, a set of biochemical reactions is dehumanizing. We're you know, people make their decisions, whether it's abortion or otherwise in medical in the medical community, based on what they believe about themselves and what goals they have for mm -hmm. themselves. And so that's how Compass Care uh, uh, attempts to to reach and serve women holistically. So it's also good to know, I mean, when you talk about 
um, when I sort of said, you know, asking the question is Planned Parenthood about something more than abortion, you you said what you said. But um, you also should say, and maybe you're saying the Compass Care, which of course largely exists to help um, mitigate abortions. You know, I mean, yeah. but but you also do a lot of other stuff. We do, yeah. So that's good to know as well. I mean, some people may also just pigeonhole you guys too to that's... know that women um, or men or families come to you guys for various services. Oh yeah, we and we. It's not just the moment of unplanned pregnancy that Compass Care, uh, you know, serves a patient. Where our job is to give her a vision of her future after having had a child. Mm. You know, making the decision to continue the pregnancy is one thing. It's a very important thing. Uh, but but one of the f major things that factors into a positive life outcome is giving someone the resources and support and security that she needs in order to uh, have the baby and sustain life afterwards. Mm. Now, um, abortion has been, still is, of course, such a... Um, uh, you know, uh, divisive issue, lightning rod issue. Yeah, sure is. Both for Christians and non-Christians, right? Yeah. It's a very big. But I think, um, I still tend to think that many of us, maybe myself included, you know, we still know only what we know. Mm -hmm. So for someone who's made a living out of, you know, just understanding this, you know, give us a, a, a shorthand um, um, understanding of abortion in America. I mean, I think most people could eke out Roe v. Wade, mm -hmm. and, and that's probably what they'd know. They probably don't know a lot more. And, you know, and some people also say to me, I, I'm, I'm guessing uh, this is, I haven't seen anything in, in writing in the last, you know, several months, but, you know, abortion in America is better <clears throat> numbers-wise than it used to be. But anyway, give, give us a sense of uh, the larger yeah. story. Yeah, you're right, Rob. Abortion numbers are down significantly in the last several years. In fact, in the last seven or eight years, abortion numbers have come down 20% nationwide. And 25% uh, in New York State, which is the abortion capital of the United States. Now, see, I didn't know that either. Yeah. Of the 50 states. Of the 50 states, there are more abortions per capita in New York than and anywhere else. And how long has that been true? Uh, always. Always? Ever since 1970 or whatever? Yeah. So so to answer your question, just take a step back. Yeah. Um, abortion in America has been a divisive issue since the 60s. And and that's because certain states were beginning to legalize abortion for various reasons, Hawaii, California, et cetera, in the 60s, late 60s. And then New York comes along and does something very unique, and that is they legalize abortion on demand for any reason. And that was July 1st, 1970. Pre-Roe v. Wade. Pre-Roe v. Wade, a couple yeah. years beforehand. And so what happened was that they created a, a, an abortion tourism dynamic. Women would come to oh, New York from all right. over the nation to get their abortions. Right. And uh, because the state they lived in was not didn't legal. Have it. it wasn't didn't legal. Have it. Yeah. Exactly. And so uh when that so that was that was contentious all across the country and uh 1973 rolls along and and the Supreme Court picks up the case Roe versus Wade and decides that the word person does not apply to the unborn. And they don't particularly say abortion is legal now for all 50 states. What they said was that the preborn person does is not a is not a, is not a person at all in in terms of the law and therefore the constitutional inalienable rights that are afforded uh, born citizens do, do not apply to preborn citizens <clears throat> preborn people so therefore you can do anything you want to with them at any time and therefore abortion is legal uh, that 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 was the Roe versus Wade decision many say it was technically the worst decision the Supreme Court's ever made uh, in terms of legal process. Um, it was fairly arbitrary in that in that uh, in that they they didn't define what personhood actually means, mm. and uh, and it was fairly arbitrary in terms of how they decided when someone was supposed to be viable, etc. Mm. Um, 
So when that happened all across the country, the, the, the walls for, for to, to access abortion came down and, um, New York state's abortion numbers started to come down dramatically because people weren't traveling here to get their abortions. They didn't abortions. need to. Yeah. Right. right. So they stabilized, uh, the number stabilized, uh, probably in the, in the, uh, mid, mid seventies, 1975, 76, 77, they started to stabilize around a hundred thousand, which is still very high. And so here we are today, abortion numbers since 2007 have been coming down, uh, you know, a little bit at a time, one, two, three percent a year in New York state is, and New York state tends to be the bellwether for the rest of the country, as goes New York state with respect to abortion. So goes the rest of the country. And that's been happening with respect to the decline of abortion too. And interestingly enough, is what's, that, do you have a, what, what, why do, why is there a decline? Do we know why? I mean, besides uh, great works like you know when you know ministries like your own oh that, that's very kind i i don't i don't there's so many complications in terms of how human behavior impacts general trends it's very difficult to assess now because i'm a i'm a, I'm a pro-life leader and the numbers are coming down it would be very convenient for me to say well it's because of pro-life efforts um honestly it's probably less about pro-life efforts and more about the 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 abortion carrying the seeds of its own demise within itself mm. um so what that what I mean is <clears throat> uh, life in general is not as valued. Family is not valued as much. Marriage is marriage marriage is going down. Marriage rates are going down. Fertility rates are going down. Uh, relationships are not happening uh, as as much as they were. The sexual activity in high schools therefore is going down. I mean you you name it. All types of relationships are being objectified for my own personal pleasure and gain. And so therefore, marriage is down, fertility is down. People don't want to have babies. They want to live for themselves and use the money that they have in their bank account for their own personal pleasure. Or now, this is kind that. of a crazy question, but it, um, not that you'd know the answer to this, but are people engaging less in sexual activity yes I mean, they are oh so, i mean that's i didn't i don't know how you would even know that but that's, that's they they measure that stuff huh, you know since the thing it's happened in, in japan it's it's and relationships are definitely on the on the huh. decline and which is why teen pregnancy is down um these kinds of things interesting um it's 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 less about pro-life legislation certainly right. it's not about pro-life legislation in new york Right. The numbers in New York have dropped farther further than any other state, but we have the most liberal and, and, and increasingly liberal abortion laws. We're deregulating abortion as much as possible, mm. and 2019 being an example of that, mm. uh, making abortion a fundamental human right mm. in New York State. So I would, you know, I'm not, to, to, to your point though, I, I, would, I, I do want to toot the horn of the church in Rochester because something unique happened in Monroe County that was different than all of the other counties in New York, as well as the nation. Abortion fell 50% in the last eight years in Monroe County. It fell further faster than any other county, I mean, but twofold faster. So um, what the difference is, is actually the, the, uh, the, the, the number of patients that Compass Care has seen that were pregnant considering abortion and chose to have their babies that we could verify. That was the difference in terms of the, the, the rate drop. Hmm. Otherwise, all things being equal, we would have seen a 20% reduction over the course of the same time frame. But hmm. we've seen a 50% reduction. Hmm. Fascinating. That is fascinating. So I, I don't want to say that the pro-life, the aggressive pro-life service efforts of the church are not are not m making a difference because they are really are. Uh, but if you look at the general trends nationwide over the course of 300, or over the, the size of a, of a nation that's 330 million people, hmm. um, there's more complicating factors. And I think it's more cultural trends. So again, when I think of many people um, today, maybe even young people who 
you know, I mean, obviously the Roe v. Wade was a long time ago, and you know, yeah. this has been a long time discussion and debate. But people whose memory is not as long as yours and mine and others, um, what what is the reason? I don't know that I could even say it in a sentence or or in a paragraph of what was really going back to the '60s, as you say, back to this question of the larger issue of abortion and what's the history and what's it all about. What was the reason behind um, this move to legalize abortion? I mean, I mean, outside of you know the dark forces, you know, which, which <laughs> I'm, I'm a I'm a pastor, so I, sure, I believe there, in there are things. dark forces, yeah. absolutely. But I just mean, um, I assume there are other narratives, there are other reasons, and what I would think. So let me tell you what what I think yeah. is is I understand that one of the reasons I don't know that I fully understand it, but is of course a woman's uh, right to um, have you know mm -hmm. um, sovereignty over her own body. I guess a woman's right, right. and there are. Um, Probably a lot of things in our culture, going back to the '60s, um, where let's call it, you know, women's um, liberation. I mm -hmm. mean that in the best sense, right? Mm -hmm. In the best sense of women's liberation, equal pay, and and you know, um, women going to having equal access to education, sure. and you know, all these other things that that I would say are are are, are positive. I'm assuming that somehow, um, this is my narrative in my head. That abortion, which seems like this very other very serious issue, and mm -hmm. it's 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 so they're all serious, but you know, very concerns another life somehow got lumped into um, that. But maybe that's a simplistic way of thinking about. It. I don't know. No, I think you're I think you're right on, mm -hmm. and um, I don't mean that in the 1970s way. <laughs> right on, <laughs> zany man. Yeah. So the what I mean to say is that uh, the the philosophy that undergirds the concept of a woman's right to choose right. is absolute personal autonomy. Okay. That's the basic philosophy that undergirds most of the decision-making moral in the moral decision-making in our country today. And that was a, that was, that was rising to the fore um, in the sixties and seventies. Uh, you know, this anti-establishment kind of mentality. Um, I can do what I want when I want. This is a absolute personal autonomy concept and a woman's right to choose or write to her own body to do with as she pleases is an autonomy question. I see. Um, and <clears throat> interesting. So it's a, is it so? Would women see it as a women's rights issue? Many do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Many do. In fact, there is a, a, a governmental uh, difference in philosophy that's that, that, that's, repre that's represented or you know in this shift, and uh, you know it's it's this positive rights versus negative rights. Negative rights are the inalienable ones that God gives us that it, it, it just reflects who we are as humans. We as humans believe things. We as humans uh, speak what we believe. We as humans behave in certain ways that are consistent with what we believe. These, this goes back to the First Amendment. We as humans protect ourselves and our, and our property. This is a Second Amendment concept. You know, so <clears throat> these are negative or inalienable rights that the government's not supposed to infringe upon constitutionally. That's why we have them written down, not so that we can create them, but so we can recognize them and not infringe upon them. Now, when you when you when you start creating policy, when the government comes along and says, "Well, we're going to create these new rights," when a government creates rights that don't haven't previously existed, we call them positive rights. I see. And positive rights, at some point in time, will conflict with the negative ones of the Constitution. And so began uh, in the 1960s and 70s, and, and and really came to the forefront in the 80s with respect to the Supreme Court. Uh, what are you going to use the Supreme Court for? 
They're going to use it for protecting negative rights as spelled out in the Constitution, or are you going to use your power to legislate, maybe legislate, yeah. and which is which is abortion Roe versus Wade is legislation from the bench. Right. Are you going to use it, your power to create positive rights that conflict ultimately with those negative ones like life? Right to life. Well, if you create a right to abortion, now that conflicts with the right, right to life if you're thinking about the child, for example. Mm. Um, and so this is the kind of, of, of dilemma philosophically, governmentally that we're, that we're facing. And it's all come about because of a shift in our understanding of, of, of how we should behave, what we value. We value mm. most autonomy, personal autonomy. That's one of the reasons why I, uh, you know, I, I think that some of the, the reasons why people are pro-life are, are the same as some of the reasons why people are pro-choice. Mm. Um, Interesting. Say yeah. a little more about that. Yeah. So, so say for example, you're 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 uh, pro-life, and you go around and say you say something like, "Well, I, I, you know, what about what about the child's rights? What about the child's rights? Doesn't a child doesn't have a child uh, have a right to life? I mean, you know, he's I say right. Well, that's the exact same oh, argument that the pro-choice camp well, would use about for their own decision, their own decision abortion. for their own body right. to have an abortion. Okay. It's the exact same concept, and it's rooted in autonomy. Hmm. And so, Christians are not as a Christian. My core value is not autonomy. My core value is, is submission, self-sacrifice, and submission to my fellow man, right? Mm. I mean, submission to God and self-sacrifice to my fellow man. Those two things are, they kind of rule out autonomy. I'm not here to protect my rights. I'm here to protect the rights of others. Right. So um, this is a question that can maybe philosophical, maybe not. Maybe this is can be answered by the numbers, but... You talked about the 60s. We talked about the 70s. This was a huge piece of legislation yeah. for some of the reasons you said, uh, monumental. Um, and um, here we are today, you know, uh, 60 years later, whatever the number is, we're still talking. This is still a very ripe issue, even today, yeah. while we're doing this recording, oh, right? Yes, we very just had a, a, a Supreme Court justice die. It's 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 front page exactly. news. Now, so my question is, not is the it, where is, is the issue gone away, but is in your sense the country that ultimately makes these decisions not only who elects our president but you know all these decisions it's it's really a question of the electorate not the question of judge abc right. or politician abc it's uh -huh. the electorate right um is our country um more conservative than it was in 1970 um less conservative or about the same i mean i mean i'm just wondering what do you think <laughs> That is a good question. Yeah. And I would say that it's much less conservative. Less. Okay. You know, in the sense that conservatism is designed to conserve something. Yeah. What, are you, what are we trying to conserve? And <clears throat> conservatism was supposed to conserve, at least, uh, you know, the, in the original definitions uh, that that we have, is supposed to conserve the Judeo-Christian heritage upon which our, our governmental structures were founded. Mm -hmm. That's not what's actually happening today in the Republican Party. Okay. We're conserving our financial health. That's mm -hmm. what we're trying to conserve. I see. Most of the platform that we're, that we're thinking about and most of the reasons why people want to vote for Republican candidates has to do with finances or taxation. And that's based in autonomy. I, I want to do with what I want to do with my resources, what I want to do, and the government shouldn't so take- So maybe we, there's some fiscal- interest slash conservatism that may be focused on, but what I guess you'd call social conservative, social policy conservatism. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're saying. Well, the, so is, is cooler than it was. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the Democrats, uh, I, I hate, I, I hate to say it this way, but the Democrats have figured out that you, you're going to get votes by appealing to a moral framework. 
they understand that it's not about uh, this or that technical uh, financial policy as much as it is about um, reasons why people live. Mm. Uh, you know, and so the Republicans have shied away from, at least in, in my my observations, have shied away from talking about the deeper things of, of what it means to be human, while Democrats have moved into that. Mm. We should, this is how society ought to look. This is how society ought to behave. When we don't talk about that as uh, as much in, in the conservative circles. Mm. When in fact, we, we that's, that's exactly what this country was founded on. Thinking about specifically the purpose and nature of mankind and how therefore we ought to behave uh, in and amongst one another through right. governmental structures. Yeah. Interesting. Um, how does the gospel, maybe, so we'll go from politics to religion, because um, uh, I know you're a man of faith and uh, a yeah. seminary grad like myself, relate to being pro-life if it does? I, uh, I would say that <clears throat> it does, definitely. Um, and I would also say that religion is, by definition, political. And in fact, Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords, and everyone will answer to him one day. Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, um, all policies will be measured against the goodness of God Almighty. And so <clears throat> when I look at the gospel, I think, wow, the, the, you know, all, all people of faith in, in Christ ought to be pro-life because of the nature of the gospel. So like, for example, you know, Jesus, I can tell you a story. Jesus, um, you, you all know the story. It's, it's uh, Jesus was... Uh, teaching and, and, and preaching or healing or doing whatever he does. And there's people around and, and uh, here comes these parents carrying children, babies, presumably, uh, and uh, to be blessed by, by Jesus. And Jesus, uh, disciples see this and they say, we didn't have time for that. You know, uh, they're not so, that important. Yeah. yeah. So they rebuke the parents and Jesus watches the disciples do this. And he, and the Bible says he is livid. He is really angry for what the disciple, all 12 of them, this is the only time in all of recorded scripture when Jesus is angry with all 12 disciples. And, uh, and he says two things. He says, uh, in his anger, he says, uh, let the little children come to me, which is a command. And then he says, uh, he says it in a negative way. Do not hinder them. He says the same thing twice, but once positive, once negative. And uh, how, he, how that looks on the face of Jesus when he's angry, I don't, I don't know. But it, it, it must have been a, a major teaching moment for these disciples. And then he tells them why. Why should, I let the, why, why should they come to me? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so I was thinking to myself, what is it about the, the baby, the infant in arms, that makes them the commensurate citizen of heaven? Yeah. And I think it's because uh, a baby has no power, right. no rights of his or her own, no standing. Vulnerable. He's vulnerable, no. has no, 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 no resources with which to... Uh, protect itself unless somebody picks up his or her cause that child will die of exposure within right. hours or days right. so too a sinner before a holy God like me right. I am exposed I have no resources of my own I have no voice of my own I have, I, have, I have nothing with which to save myself unless someone picks up my cause I will die of exposure to my sins and Jesus came to be that voice for me to, to give me his resources to give me his standing before God the Father so that I could live but not for myself he says, walk in my footsteps. So I'm supposed to go out now, just like he did for me. I'm supposed to go out and be a little Christ. I'm supposed to speak and act on behalf of the vulnerable, the weak of society, the orphan, the widow, etc. Remember the poor, Paul says. I, I always want to remember the poor. That was my, the Jesus says, remember the poor. I, I, who are the poor? It is that category of person in society 
that has no rights, that has no voice, that is the weak. I mean, it's, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And so who are who is that now for us in America? Yeah. And there is only one category of person in America that has no rights, no standing, unless somebody picks up her call. Unless somebody leverages their voice on behalf of that voiceless category of person, they will die. And that's the preborn child. Right. And uh, and so we do that by by being you know extravagant with our with our outreach and our love for the women who are carrying those children. So um as a pastor, you, I mean, former pastor yourself, but uh, and pastor myself, my church, your church, mm -hmm. um, virtually every church has well-meaning, God-loving, Bible-loving yeah. um, people who are both pro-choice and pro-life. Right, sure. right. So, um, uh, why is that? I'm not judging anybody, or I'm not sure. trying to make you judge anybody, but I'm just saying, apart from you know your aunt and my friend, I mean, but I mean, right. I mean, in, as a category, I'm just wondering. Um, there must be reasons. Maybe it's the women's rights issue. Maybe it's the the um, the when life begins issue. Why why is there people? Um, I, I'll confess, I am a pro-life. Have been, you know, uh, my my as long as I've been a Christian. Um, but um, but why is that? Well, Rob, I'm sure you can answer that question as well, if not better than I can. <clears throat> um, but I I would say I'd rather have fun listening. To your answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I, yeah. I you know there's there's a lot of reasons why people are are pro-choice. Yeah, and, that's what I mean. That's what I'm getting at. And so uh, you know, as as believers, sometimes they just haven't thought it through. Yeah. And so there's there's a level of of immaturity there in their in their doctrinal understanding of what it means to be human under God, and this just takes time, you know. That's right. um, there's other other reasons too. Like so, there's if a woman has an abortion, for example, it does it typically does one of two things in a Christian's mind and heart. It usually either galvanizes them to justify their behavior and have the abortion, right, and keeps them in that camp, right, and or it galvanizes them to the opposite, right. And and so the their their position about about abortion becomes purely sentimental, right? Not based on faith or principle, right? And and that's again, it's just a matter of maturity there too. Makes sense. Yeah, I would say you know, or we, maybe we, their daughter had an abortion. Exactly or that, right? Yeah. Or they helped somebody. That's right. And they were just trying to do their best for what they knew how to do. Right. And uh, it's okay. You know, part of being uh, a Christian is that God meets us where we are, but he never lets us stay where we are. That's right. And so we have to meet people where they are. Let, let them, let, it's okay for you to be where you are, but let's not stay there. I'm not supposed to stay where I am. I'm supposed to grow in Christ. That's the nature of discipleship, right? And so we just got to, I think we've got to give some people some room there. So you, you, not just you, because you have, you know, you said many, 32 staff and hundreds of volunteers, two centers, and you do a lot of, um, you know, you're, you're not sitting there with every um, client. No. Right. But They wouldn't um, want me in there. Right. <laughs> right. Right. They need something a little softer, right? <laughs> but um, what, do, um, what do you say, or um, let's start first with the, 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 um, the, uh, the pregnant um, person, um, woman, whether they're young or not young. You know, who doesn't have any of the um, reasons in their head to have abortion or not to have abortion. But, you know, what's the first thing you say to somebody who's considering an abortion, I guess? Well, we want to get in the boat with her. Yeah. Um, our, our whole goal is not to tell her what to do. Our whole goal is to make her feel like she's not alone. That's the first thing. Make her feel like she is dignified. Uh, so she walks into a, a, a very nice office. I mean, clean, 
um, medical, warm. Um, she's greeted by name. She's greeted um, by, by professionals, and she's given all the courtesies and all the highest tech she can possibly she she can possibly be, get. And she she feels something oftentimes for the first time, and that is love. Someone is giving her something, sacrificing for her just because she's human. And it calls her up. That, 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 that the environment calls her to a new place of self-respect. And, and that's a, a, oftentimes a new phenomenon, a new feeling for her. And so um, that we get, you know, we ask every patient to fill out an exit survey. How would you rate your service, the services you received today? And uh, on a scale of one to five. And we, our average rating is a 4.9. Now, mind you, most of the women that we serve come in wanting an abortion, knowing that they're not going to get one and they're not going to get a referral from for us from one ever. So and yet, slow down. Most women that come to you want to get they an, want an abortion. So why are they coming to you? Yeah, it's a good question. Oh. <laughs> um, because of the three questions I I, I, I spoke about earlier, they they need a medical engagement. They need to get answers to these questions. I see. And and medicine is primarily an educational process. Here's here here's your your current condition. Here are the options available to you, <clears throat> treatment options for that current condition. And here are the, the costs and side effects. So there's other questions they want answered. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Right. Okay. And so the nurse treats her with, with dignity. And you know, when a woman is, is given respect and dignity and, 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 a, and a vision of her future after having had a child, the support and security that she needs to do that, mm. um, she's much, much more likely to at least slow down enough to think it through. That's right. Because typically she's, she's uh, in fight or flight mode. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. I've got no other choice. I need to have an abortion. Just give me my abortion so I can get out and get going again. Um, so here's some interesting questions just that I don't know. I'm right on that point. Um, age, race, are there any um, common, you know, most people are young. Most people are white or black. Most or no. It's all across the board. Or um, Everybody's getting abortions. Um, okay. But in terms of, of demographics. I mean, people that you guys see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So um, it, it, demographically, um, most of people, most just just generally speaking, in terms of sheer volume, most of the people getting abortions are white. Okay. I know that sounds no, that, um, counterintuitive. Yeah, a lot of people think that it's you know young teenage city girls getting abortions, right. but that's not actually the case. The case is most of them are twenty to twenty four that are white and they're living in the suburbs. Okay, they're very difficult to work with, very difficult to reach, and uh, quite frankly, it's easier to reach and serve women seriously considering abortion who are in the city environment. Okay. They're closer to their Judeo-Christian roots mm. and they're easier to talk to. Mm. Um, there's pressures that drive women to get abortions. And are most of them young? I mean, under 25? Yeah. 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 Okay. I think the average age is, right now, the average age is about 22 to 24. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So the driver, the primary driver for a woman getting an abortion is changed. Mm. The pressure that 15 years ago was guilt versus shame. So whichever one of those pressures right. won in her mind determined the outcome of the pregnancy. So if guilt over ending the life of a child wins, she has the baby, right? If shame wins, shame over her community or friends or family finding out she's pregnant, I see, then right. she has the abortion. Or she wants to, she can lose her husband or That sort of thing. Whatever, exactly right. right. Yep. So that kind of, of pressure, guilt versus shame is based in a Judeo-Christian heritage of, of the value of all human life. Interesting. And a, a type of behavior pattern you need to follow in terms of shame. Mm. And, and when you uh, find yourself pregnant outside of wedlock, then you've got both of those scenarios at play and you don't know what to do. You're stuck between, you know, uh, you, the, 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 you're, you're really in a, uh, the pressure cooker. Mm. 
And so that is no longer the case. Mm. There's a new kind of pressure that's driving the population now to get abortions. And it's my life versus the baby's life. Mm. My life as I know it, my life as I want it, my life as I I planned it versus the baby's life. She's under no misconceptions that this is anything other than a baby. She doesn't even try uh, to, to, to justify uh, that an abortion is that way. Right. They're not talking about when does life start? No, it's not a question of no. How's it going to impact my life? Exactly. So another side of the question, um, about women, um, what do you, so what, this is what you say to people who have no strong convictions about things, but they're struggling. Mm -hmm. As you say, they're urgent, they're, they're in a desperate situation and you say to them, you know, we just want to get in the boat with you, et cetera. Yeah. We want you to, we want to help you slow down and think, yeah. help you, pray for you, whatever. What about the people you talk to, whether it's at, at Compass Care or in everyday life, women who are listening right now who've had abortions, yeah. okay, um, Christian or non, um, you know, uh, what do you say to them? Or what's our, what's our words to them? That's a good question. <clears throat> our words to them are words of compassion. Our words to them are words of life. Um, our words to them are our words of of new life. Mm. the um, The fact of the matter is, um, we don't. Grace is cheap if you don't recognize mistakes. If you don't recognize sin, you know God's grace to us is deep. is a deep, deep well. Be, primarily because our sin is a deep, deep problem, and our sin impacts our life and the lives of the people around us. And um, and abortion is one of those things. It's okay. Uh, to call it what it is. In fact, it's important to call it what it is as a sin. Right. It, because it thereby allows us to, to recognize what it, what it really is and, and allow for Christ to come in and, and truly heal us and allow ourselves to be forgiven in that way. Right. It's, 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 um, it's something we have to uh, uh, recognize and not play down because it is that important. It's, it's deeply ingrained and most women deeply regret it. And we don't want to... Uh, cheapen it yeah. by calling it something less than what it is. Well, it made me think what you were saying earlier uh, in this conversation when you mentioned abortion was had gone down because it has the seeds of its own um, demise. demise. And what I thought you were saying, at least came to mind, I didn't say anything, is that there is a sense over 50 years or however long it's been, almost 60, right? Mm-hmm. Almost 60? Yeah. I mean, it's been legal. I mean, been happening longer than since that. Since the 60s, yeah. Since, the, since 1973. Um, that maybe there's this sort of collective um, sense, guilt over, um, you know, um, correction or, or cha- change in thinking that this is not a good idea. You know, that's what I thought you were getting. I mean, <clears throat> that could be part of it, yeah. Rob, because um, you've got the older generation that that started having abortions when abortion became legal that are now the influencers in the younger generation. That's right. It's a good point. Yeah. And so there, there is- Mothers a, and grandmothers mothers out there and grandmothers. tonight. Right? Yeah. They, they know and, and, and guess what? Um, their granddaughters or their daughters are, are, are getting in, in, into these circumstances and what do they say to them? I think they'll- um, again, it goes back to how they handled their own abortion, I think. You That's know, and, a good point. Uh, but there is a tremendous amount of uh, a number of women out there that had abortions and uh, came out the other side and said that, I wish I would never have done that. But, and yep. I wish somebody would have told me. I wish Compass yeah. Care would have been around when I was. And I, we've heard this many, many times. Mm. And we get a lot of referrals from mothers and grandmothers uh, bringing their daughters in. Yeah. Uh, so so there is that. I don't know if it's that that that, that would capture all of the... Of the reason for the yes, decline, right? So um, let me end with talking a little bit about the church, and you can um, 
I don't know, throw me under the bus or, or I don't know, not me, but maybe, no, no, but, uh, but, you know, I know you're, you're, you're a man of faith have been for, you know, many, many years. Um, mm. That happens to be your point of view. Not yeah. everybody that's um, pro-life is a Christian, right? you know, that's uh, true. but you are and I am. But, um, you know, uh, I suppose, um, I don't even know if the church has, you know, um, just like we said, the culture. Has the church been, you know, hot, warm, cool, hot again? I'm talking about in general. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are some churches that are that are different than other churches. But how, in your opinion, anyway, in the as you um, engage with the church, whether it's evangelical or not, I guess the Catholic Church is... Um, can always had a strong position on abortion. Yeah. So how how is the church doing? Where is it missing it? You know, that kind of thing. Well, that's a good question. And I <clears throat> I should say that the Catholic Church was on the ground floor of the pro-life movement back in the 60s, and the evangelical church was virtually non-existent. Um, because? <clears throat> well, I think that there was a tremendous amount of ignorance okay. around abortion. Okay. You know, Watergate was happening when Roe versus Wade got passed, you know, th got th going got uh, not passed but you know ruled on right um and uh the 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 moral framework in the evangelical community is not um top down so there is no no person or entity that says here's what's right and here's what's wrong based on this kind of doctrine the catholic church had that they have a kind of legal framework that is able that is able to kind of test um you know, bioethical concerns and come up with a quick Just like response. capital punishment, that kind of a thing. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And eventually community didn't have that. It took them some time to figure oh, it see. out. Um, <clears throat> so once they figured it out, though, thank you. Thank you much to uh, Francis Schaefer and C. Everett Koop right. with uh, whatever happened to the human race back in the late 70s. Right. That that was like igniting that ignited the evangelical church. You know, around it's so interesting you say and people it all depends on where you dip in. You know, most people think of the the moral majority and, and some of us, you know, some people, a lot of people might have a lot of negative, immediately political things in mind. Jerry Falwell, et cetera. Sure. I'm not trying to yeah. name names or throw anybody under the bus, but- and He was the leader of the, of the moral majority. But when you say um, Francis Schaeffer, wow. It's a very, yeah. I, less people know Francis Schaeffer. He was a major um, figure, intellectual figure. And so it's interesting that we, it's helpful if people realize that the, uh, if I'm understanding what you're saying, that the pro-life movement from an intellectual, spiritual standpoint existed outside of the hyper-political um, oh, framework that it that was popular in the 1980s. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it, the, in fact, it preceded all that. Right. Francis Schaeffer uh, being a, a tremendous um, theological, philosophical yeah. mind, along partnered with C. Everett Koop, the yeah. Surgeon General I of the United States. Uh, they just it was they were a dynamic duo, oh. and they just said, "Here's here's what what is the case, Interesting. and we're if we keep going down this road, it's the abortion is just the beginning." What was the um, Pope John Paul? Not that I mean, was his? I mean, he was he? I know he's pro life, but I mean, was he? Was he? I know he was a major figure in that era. Yeah, Humanae Vitae was came out prior to um, this was this was Pope Pius, I believe. Okay, uh, Humanae Vitae. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But that was back in the 60s. Okay. Um, and that was a, that was a very powerful okay. document. In fact, it's very prophetic. Hmm. Um, worth the read. It's only a two or three page document, but uh, uh, very helpful for Catholics and, and people of faith in general to understand what it means to be human under God and how we should make decisions around reproductive health and how that impacts our future hmm. as, a, as a nation and as, as families. And uh, C. Everett Koop and Francis Schaeffer were able to take more of a philosophical evangelical approach, which made a whole lot of sense to the evangelical community. And that's when they came on board. And that's essentially what 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 sparked this 
incredible uh, development of the pregnancy center movement. All these evangelicals mm-hmm. and Catholics got together and started creating pregnancy centers back wow. in the late seventies, early eighties. And that's where Compass Care came from. Interesting. So, so we're the, out of time almost, but let me ask you, um, you know, when people sit down with you, like what we're doing right now, obviously we spent most of this better part of this hour, whatever it is talking about abortion, that's central to mm. um, Compass Care to your work. But, you know, if we had another hour, uh, what, what, what else animates the heart of, of Jim Hart? In other words, in relative to your work, I mean, you're, you're about more than this issue. I think, uh, yeah, thank you for asking that question. That's, I, I appreciate that. Um, I'd like to know the answer from your perspective, uh, but because you asked me, I would say, I am concerned, deeply concerned about why abortion thrives in America. Mm. Why abortion thrives in the modern West, mm. not just America. And I'm concerned that um, our understanding of what it means to be human is shallow. I'm concerned that it's not rooted in the fact that we're made in the image of God. Right. And all of, all of our decisions are rooted in our beliefs. All of our behavior are, uh, comes, from what we, comes from our heart, which, which is where our beliefs reside. Good or bad, everybody's got them. And it just seems to me that as, as, a, as a people, we have gotten shallow and it's not sustainable. Mm. We've got to get, we've got to, we've got to return to Christ, return to a deep understanding of what it means to be human under God so that we can truly understand what is right and wrong in an tr- in a, in a ever changing and ever more rapidly changing culture that is becoming ever more uh, anti-Christian. Mm. Good. Well, that's a, maybe that's a subject for another conversation. I'm talking about um, the, the culture's lack of curiosity mm. um, and about these deeper matters about the meaning and life of life yep. and the source of life. And maybe as a very last thing to ask you, and you may I'm, I'm, I may catch you flat-footed, but whether it's on this issue, the larger, broader discussion of life and uh, or or the history of abortion or maybe something related to the sec the, the comment you just made is there a book um i always like to ask people about a book they may have read or they you know that people might read is there a book out there you know second to the bible yeah that you'd say you know for for someone who wants to learn more about this or that you just found you know stimulated your interest whether it's in a and in, in in the issue of abortion or not maybe it's on this issue of of um this question of the meaning of life that you comes to mind or a book that comes to mind for you that we could recommend to, to our listeners? I, so many, my mind is ablaze right now with the <laughs> right, books that I'd right, like to recommend. Right. Um, books that um, most people um, would never have heard of yeah. um, would, would be something like, I, this might sound like a niche book, it might right. sound like a textbook, but I think it's a book that, that would be valuable for every Christian to read just from the perspective of understanding uh, Christian, Western Christian development. Okay. Which is um, Christian bioethics okay. by a guy named uh, Tristam Engelhart. Oh, okay. Is it a recent book? Uh, it's probably written in the late nineties. Okay, not too um, maybe not early two thousands. Uh, yeah, pretty recent. And the most and and, and if I and if I could have a, a, a sub book that I would recommend yeah. that I just finished reading, uh, which would really help in terms of uh, people's understanding of the culture and where that we're in, it would. Um, you know, you got you got to chew you got to chew up the bone, chew, chew, chew the fat, and spell out the bones a little bit with this one. But it's called um, "Rivers North of the Future" 
by Ivan Illich. Oh, okay. I know who Ivan Illich is. Yeah, so yeah. At least I know that much. Yeah, he, he was he was a, a controversial figure back in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he wrote this book. Um, well, he didn't actually write a book. It's a book about an interview with him mm. back in the uh, late uh, or early 2000s. Nice. Well, Jim, thank you so much for oh, joining the conversation. And uh, maybe we can do it again. Love to. Friends, thank you for joining us and look forward to continuing the conversation with you soon.